Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. I'm working on a few uh, film projects for Voice Locket at voicelocket.com with the personal stories captured for families and also founder stories of businesses. I'm working on a founder story this week about an international company uh, for a dear friend, and it's very, it's very fun and exciting. So check us out, voicelocket.com. You know, the medical system wasn't meeting me there either, by the way. <laughs> they were not saying, you know, let us wrap you around and, and really take care of your postpartum depression. It was kind of like, we'll have someone call you in six weeks. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hello there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast. This week, Rachel Hatterberg-Walt, who works in and is very energetic about something called the human design experiment. Accent on the experiment. Try it. It's free. See if it tells you something that you don't know about yourself and keep an open mind. She has written a book called Change Your World from the Inside Out, Rachel Hatterberg-Walt, and we had a blast. We quickly get to the point, as you'll see it, and how this is applicable. Thank you, Rachel. Enjoy. Where were you born? I was born in Denver, Colorado. Hospital or home? Hospital. I believe it was Rose Medical Center, if I am correct in my memory. We only lived there about 18 months after I was born. Um, it Part of it still feels like home, though, even though I wasn't there that much. Um, but yeah, it's a great place to be born. Do you go back there? We do occasionally. Um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and niece live there. Um, my aunt and uncle live there. My two cousins live there. So, um, and it's just a generally wonderful place to be. It makes my heart sing. Um, so I, anytime I get to go to Denver, Colorado, I'm in. They're, they're in the Rockies. It's a gorgeous yes. part of the country. It is. It is. Uh, did your mother tell you anything about her pregnancy, labor, and delivery with you? You know, she has, but the most enlightening part about learning about my birth story was in my baby book. Um, I was actually, um, I think the famous story they tell is that my dad was sitting there paying bills while my mom was in active labor, like begging to go to the hospital. Um, so there was that. And then when they got there, um, I think the labor was okay. But then um, I was born with the umbilical cord tied around my neck. And I also had Merconium, which is where you swallow your feces 
um, as an infant. And so I had to be rushed to the uh, NICU and I was in there for, I want to say three days. So um, no long lasting effects that I am aware of, but it was definitely an interesting story to read about so many years later. They didn't really talk too much about that other than, yeah, you were born with the umbilical cord tied around your neck. But in my baby book, my dad wrote a little letter from his perspective, watching his like newborn firstborn child go and be whisked off to the NICU. So it was a pretty heartfelt reflection on that experience by him. And what did he say? He just said how disturbing it was and how scared they were and how they were really trusting the doctors because they didn't know, you know, really what was going on and hoping that I would recover and be able to go home with them. And thankfully it turned out well, because here I am chatting with you. <laughs> and you, you didn't know this until you like read in the baby book. Yeah. I mean, I knew it. They would tell me the story that I was born with the umbilical cord tied around my neck, but I believe it was during a move that we were going through and I was going through our stuff to edit and, and things before the move. And I found my baby book and was reading with more intent because I was a mother when I kind of looked at that <laughs> with more intent. So it meant a little bit more to me, I think. And then I found the letter and I really don't remember reading it before then. I mean, I had had my baby book for however long, but it hit it hit different. It hit different after I was a mom. My firstborn actually had to go to the NICU too. So it, it resonated with me a little bit more relating to my dad's feelings. Did you write about that experience? I did a little bit uh, in his baby book, actually. But I also had postpartum depression after I had him. And I, as I would read it back today, I would probably detect a, an emotional um, distance from that, probably. If I were to write him a letter again today, it would probably be a little more emotional, more deep, um, probably from a higher view and not necessarily so close up when it was still feeling so raw. And how many do you have? I've got three kids, seven, wow. six, and four. And so that was the congratulations. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's Thank wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for your service to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel that deeply, Stuart. <laughs> you know, motherhood is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's a blessing, obviously, but it is it is my biggest refiner of my soul. That's for sure. Um, now, I know that you're uh, I've had an, a friend who's an astrologer on this program, uh, yeah. Robin, and I okay. know that you do these um readings or charts in part based on when we are born yes and where we are born uh, yes. so tell me uh have you done your kids charts <laughs> oh yeah Stuart you know I have <laughs> and, yes and I've done all my family's charts um I am not an astrologer but I do the human design experiment that's the tool that I use energetically in it has astrology as part of it. So human design is a synthesis of astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Kabbalah tree of life, um, and the chakra system, the Hindi chakra system. So I'm definitely learning more about astrology because when you do your human design, design, um, chart, it pulls your birth date, time and place because in it, it pulls the astrology from it. So it creates a map of your energy, basically. And um, I've learned more about myself and my kids just looking at that. I'm a very visual person. So I think that really helps it be more concrete 
and helps me relate to them in a different way. But yeah, so um, two of my kids were born in Chicago and they're only like 13, 14 months apart, but they're very different energetically. And then my third was born in Huntersville, uh, North Carolina, and he is very different energetically. And, and it's so fun because I can see that I can see what their charts are and then see it play out in my real life. And it's like, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) And any parent who has more than one child knows you can't treat kids, even identical twins alike, because they come, they arrive almost with different personalities and different, like you can't yell at them the same or you can't you know discipline the same you can't love on them the same you can't hug on them the same yeah they're their own little beings that we're here to provide a safe environment for them to flourish in the way that they wanted to when they came here um and so it's given me a lot of perspective on that too. One of my human design energetic gifts is all about control. And sometimes when I'm in the shadow side of that, when I'm not feeling too good or my anxiety is really ramped up, I can really try to micromanage them and try to force them to do things how I think they should do. And let me tell you, Stuart, that never works. It never (laughs) works. (laughs) Even if their energy is more like um, available to receive that kind of direction and care, it just, it, it never works. So the tool of human design and also mindfulness and meditation and Reiki on all the good stuff I do really helps me be able to have the perspective to be able to treat them as their own unique individual person. Um, so it's been a real blessing because it just, it helps you appreciate everyone's uniqueness and diversity and, and specificity of how that they, how they want to operate, what they want to do, what they're interested in. It's really cool. The way I have arrived at whether it's the Enneagram or the uh, any of the communication styles tests, there's something called the DISC assessment, which is used in business. It's a communication styles or yes. the Myers-Briggs yes. or the straight up uh, personality assessment, which is used by psychologists primarily to denote or, you know, diagnose uh, maladaptions or some sort of, you know, what would you, you would call it, it would be in the diagnostic and statistical manual, the DSM. Right. So they're looking, they're looking for pathology. They're looking right. for neurosis, psychosis. An imbalance kind of, of some sort. Right. Right. Beyond but quirks. <laughs> yeah. my, my question is always not, you know, how woo woo is it or whatever. My question is, does it offer me an insight that I would not otherwise have? Like, exactly. does this, is this helpful? Right. Is it helpful? Well, that's what I appreciate about, appreciate about human design is because it's meant to be an experiment. You're meant to receive your blueprint of your energy and then play with the principles of it to try it on for size to see if it's right for you. Cause it's not going to be right for everyone. No tool is. And human design even shows that, that not everything is meant for everybody. So that's what I really appreciate about this. I also appreciate that they use my birth date, time and place because with Myers-Briggs, with the Enneagram, those quiz-based personality tests, I can bullshit myself on those. So my little ego personality slips in is like, hold on, you sit to the side. Let me answer this. We should be in service. Okay. You should be a number two. Let's answer this Enneagram as a number two, which 
upon reflection, you know, maybe I'm not that dominant number two, even though I claim that I, I maybe want to be. So that's another reason why I, I gravitate more towards the human design because I can't bullshit my energy map, you know? This goes to what is fixed and what is not. Like, what can we change and what can't we change? Well, I don't know if it's that cut and dry, really, in the human design lens. Um, there are in your chakras, there is a distinction between defined energy where you just have more consistent energy that expresses in a certain way and undefined centers or chakras where you're more influenced from outside sources. You don't have your own source of that flavor of energy. Um, there's also gates, which are little flavors of energy and you have some and some you don't have access to all the time, but depending I have to slow on, you down for oh, someone who has never heard the word chakra. What is yes. that? So chakras are um, energy hubs that are all over our body, but the main ones that you might've heard before from the yogic tradition um, are the head, the third eye, it kind of goes down your central nervous system, your spinal cord, um, your head, your third eye, your throat, your heart chakra, your solar plexus, which is right below the heart, going down into your belly with the sacral chakra. And then at the base of your spine is root. So in human design, they use that. There's a couple of other distinctions too in human design that they look at for an energy hub, which is the spleen, as well as the G center it's called, which is part of the heart chakra too. They just distinguish part of it. So in human design, you might find out if you have a defined heart, meaning you would have consistent access to that heart motivation, love, forgiveness, gratitude, um, those heart chakra things, self-love, self-identity is part of the G center that goes along with it. So, but it's not cut and dry either. I have that defined and then I can't grow it or evolve it or not because in human design, it allows for consciousness growth. It allows for the times when we're operating more in our lower vibration or shadow or, or not so mentally, emotionally well-placed. So it, it accommodates for all of those fluctuations in how our mm -hmm. energy presents. So I think it would be hard to say, you know, you can't change this part of your energy map because in my experience, the only consistent part of my energy is the change of it <laughs> and just riding the wave of it, riding the wave of your emotions, riding the wave of your perspective on things, constantly using your creativity and being curious to, to search for new things and how your energy wants to express. So. I think that's why I love it too, because I'm a, I'm a fluid, flexible thinker. So I do like the structure, kind of the direction it points me in as far as what consistent energy I have and how it wants to express. Um, but I also love how it accommodates for all that fluctuation. Cause that's my human experience. It's not like I've, you know, reached the plateau of, of evolution and now I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's a constant balancing act there. Um, in what ways you, you can ask people a series of questions like, um, did you grow up with your, with your biological father or what kind of relationship did you have with your parents? And from a psychological point of view, that can tell you a lot. You know, if this person was abused, it can tell you a lot. Um, right. What can you determine? from design that you can't determine by looking at a life history of someone. Right. Well, that's what 
is part of the purpose of it because it shows you what your authentic energy is underneath all the conditioning that we experience in our life. So matter, no matter how we grew up with both parents, with biological parents or adopted parents or grandmothers or caregivers or, or none of those things, um, we were born with a certain set of energy and the way that it wanted to express through this lifetime, the lessons it wanted to learn, the things it wanted to do. Um, and so the conditioning gets you so far, right? It's going to get an indication of how your behavior might be, how your thought pattern might be. But underneath all of that is your soul, is your spirit. And your actions and your words and your interests might be a reflection of that authentic desire or authentic energy, or it might not be because of conditioned responses from, you know, childhood or conditioning from society or trauma or things like that. So human design helps you get to the foundation of that and kind of weed out, you know, what is a pattern that I picked up from the outside versus what is a pattern that is true to me? And it trains you how to detect that too, without even looking at your chart. It shows you how to use your emotions as a balancing um, gauge to say, this feels right to me. This feels true to me. This feels exciting to me. It's a whole body lit upness is a yes in human design. Um, And, you know, this is really frustrating for me. This is making me super bitter and resentful and angry. This is not a yes in human design. So it really helps you become your own investigator, your own guru of your own energy. So you can weed through all of that. So you can decide, okay, what is this personality presentation, behavior presentation, decision presentation because of upbringing and, and trauma and things that you've been through in your life on the outside versus what's innate? Any distinction between the brain and the body and anything beyond it, including the mind, you use the word soul, immediately you get into whether people buy into that. Right. (laughs) Even though uh, at major universities, there are entire studies of what they call mind-brain behavior. In other words we have a certain amount of agency control or free will over the brain. So whatever you want to call that mind or consciousness. And then there are people who say, no, 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 there's something beyond the mind, uh, spirit or consciousness or true self. Well, human design is a mind, body, spirit integration tool. So it's definitely separate, but connected. One can't evolve and work without the other. So there is distinctions, but it's not separate, if that makes sense. But there is this sense of connected energy for all living beings, a higher self, a higher consciousness, a universal consciousness, a source, some sort of connected energy that then goes through all living things to connect us. And if you call that your spirit or your soul or your energy, um, in human design, it's mostly talked about energy, consciousness, um, but that sense of self that's separate from your thoughts, from your behavior, um, from your emotions to a certain degree too, and then chooses to express in certain ways through those modalities, through the senses, through decision-making, through the emotions. But it's definitely a, a singular presentation of a connected energy. They talk a lot about um, you know, the ocean We are, you know, the ocean is its own connected mass, but each wave, each particle presents in its own way. So thinking about connected energy, universal energy in that way, and then each, each living being has its own energetic 
container and expression container, meaning the brain thinking process, the body, and, and then all the actions that the body and the senses and the brain can enact. And the view of human design is consciousness limited to life forms or is there consciousness in so-called inanimate objects? You mean versus like, you know, rocks versus humans or animals? Yes. Yes. Exactly. I think consciousness can be extended to anything in human design perspective. Um, Ra is the the founder of human design. He downloaded all this information um, and wrote about it for eight days straight in Ibiza. And I haven't gone through all of his videos and, and teachings yet. I'm not sure his exact perspective on innate objects versus living beings. Um, but I would say it would fit in a human design perspective that even inanimate objects or, or things hold an energetic energy um, signature. Is so, he still alive? No, he died, I believe, March 2012, I think. And when uh, did he... When did he download this? In the 80s. So he okay. is a Canadian white dude who kind of searched for enlightenment, went to Ibiza and um, had this spiritual experience. What he called the voice came down and, and took over his whole body. He, he writes um, where it was kind of a little bit aggressive, like he was a little fearful of the power of this energy and then informed um, this whole system using synergizing all this those intuitive and scientific systems into this one energy blueprint so it kind of layers on top of each other gathers a lot of the information from all of those ancient and scientific systems to to give us a profile of how our energy wants to flow is he viewed as a holy man or a prophet no that's what that's what I appreciate about human design too. It's definitely not, if anything, I would say, you know, gauging the temperature of the human design community, he's, he's kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> um, he's a little bit rough around the edges. Her, his perspective on these energies were very um, kind of negative and scary. Uh, so, so the, the more modern human design um, evolutionists, I guess, like Karen Curry Parker, made her own kind of more positive, higher vibration version of the aurotypes and all these energy names. So if anything, I think he was kind of knocked off his, <laughs> his pedestal, but I don't think anyone put him on his pedestal either. It's very, it's very much meant to be an equitable system. There's no human design guru out there. Of course, there's teachers that are using the tool, you know, to evolve humanity more pointedly than others. But there's, it's not a religion by any means. There's no um, cult following. It's really just meant to be a tool that you get to decide. And then you become your own guru of your own energy patterns, which I love. So there's not one church or philosophy or theology. So where do you go to learn about it? If you're, if you're like me and you don't know the first thing, where do you start? Yeah. Well, you can go to my website, Stuart, and get your free human design <laughs> there's chart. A, there's a portal. <laughs> there's one there's portal. the portal I slipped down. Um, yeah, the first step is to get your chart. So you need your birth date, time, and place. The time is important, but if you don't know your exact time, there are ways to go around it. 
Um, and then what you can do is you can, you know, go on the search, the search sites and search your aura type. I would start with aura type and strategy and authority. Those are the big three. Once you learn about that and you start practicing those things and it gets more innate, it gets more practiced, it gets more integrated into your system, then um, you can explore, you know, the other areas of the chart. It can be very overwhelming. It's a very descriptive chart. I mean, you can go into the weeds so far because each one of your energy flavors has a flavor to it that then can be um, influenced by the transits of the planets today. So it can get, it can get really hairy. So don't get overwhelmed. Follow your curiosity to the parts of the chart that really intrigue you. And I would, I would find a mentor unless you really do like the leisure and like the investigating of going down the rabbit holes yourself. Um, but there's tons of podcasts, tons of blogs, tons of teachers and coaches um, that can provide guidance. There's lots of apps too, which I like my human design app. Uh, it, there's a free version and a paid version. So I can have my chart and everything right there. So if I'm listening to a podcast, I can look and see, oh yeah, they're talking about, you know, an energy flavor that I've got. So I'm, I'll perk up a little bit. Um, but I also use it with my coaching clients. So um, I... I feel like that's the the easiest way to go about it is to have a mentor, to have a partner that's a little bit further on down the road that can see the energy patterns in your chart, that can see through the data of it and really be an interpreter. And that's how I feel like I am with my clients is finding the patterns, finding the things that really um, show themselves to me. And especially I try to get to know my clients too, before we have a session and, and get their intentions so I can find the information they're seeking in the chart as well. So it's not too overwhelming. Because mainly it's in the particular, in the, in the real life, right. that people want to apply this. They want to know. It's very functional. Is, yeah. Is this yeah. person a good mate? Are we a good yeah. fit? Um, yeah. I mean, my wife and I have been together more than 40 years. And we still see the world extremely differently. Yes. Which, which causes, you know, arguments about loading the dishwasher, you know. Exactly. Uh, it's that friction, that friction point. Are your energies interacting with each other? Because you are yeah. seeing things from different points of view. So when you know your chart and you know your partner's chart and their quirks, you can work your way around it. Um, my husband and I have done this. So he is a a one, three, what they call, but he, he investigates the, the number one in human design is an investigator energy feels very safe with a lot of information. I don't have a lot of that energy in my chart. I am a very intuitive in the moment decision maker. Um, I go by my gut response. So if I want to do something, my gut will tell me yes or no in the moment, but he is not as much like that. So on Friday nights, we always watch movies and he'll spend 30 minutes of our time going through all the reviews for the movies. And I'm like, why do you care about all these people's opinions? It would give us so much friction for no reason, right? It's kind of stupid, but it feels so annoying at the time. Well, when I found out about his energy, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Of course, he's got to look at all the reviews. So what we do is we work around it. So all week, he has freedom to read all the reviews of all the shows or movies that he wants to watch. And then he'll present me with a yes, no question, which is how my gut likes to respond to decision-making. So he'll say, you know, do you want to watch this? And I'll say, no. <laughs> and then he'll say, okay, do you want to watch this? And I'll say, yes. And then we'll watch it. So it's that kind of practicality 
um, that I really enjoy in human design too, um, especially with my kids. So the way this presents is my kids, um, two of my three kids are um, experience learners, trial by error learners, which is shown in your chart. So you can imagine how frustrating that is as a mother <laughs> because they don't listen to me, Stuart. So what happens one time, my son, um, we, we like to go hiking in the mountains a lot. So one time we went hiking and my son was, you know, hell bent on wearing rain boots on a mile and a half hike. It's three miles round trip, mile and a half hike, trying to tell him like, dude, trust me, you're not going to want to hike three miles with rain boots on. Oh, you know, provided this whole fight. I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. He's a, he's a trial and error learner. I'm like, he's going to have to learn this the hard way. Okay. You know, this isn't going to, you know, scar him for life or anything like that. This is a safe experiment. Is it going to be uncomfortable for him? Yes. But it's also going to be a very impactful teacher for him. So I let him go. I let him go up the mountain a mile and a half with his rain boots on. And then at the top of the mountain, there's a, um, a pond and waterfall. He proceeded to play in that with his boots, boots got covered in water. And then he walked, hiked the mile and a half down. And that boy had blisters on his shoes. I said, you know, are we good now? Like, are we good? Did we, did we learn this lesson sufficiently? He's like, yeah, mom. (laughs) I'm like, okay. But knowing that he did, he did. And now that I know that it provides me with more control over myself and what kind of containers I'll let them explore in versus me trying to micromanage them and control them. And, you know, we would have had a huge fight and had a miserable experience on the mountain because he was, you know, hell bent on walking up the mountain in those boots. So if I would have forced it, it would have been a miserable experience for everybody. Lots of friction. I would have wasted tons of energy on this fight. And he wouldn't have learned a darn thing. Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to cleanorigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to cleanorigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's cleanorigin.com code radio 10 yeah. the main thing that a lot of people ask is should i take the job in san diego um as a surfer a surfing right. instructor or should i stay here making a gazillion dollars as an investment banker right um and so a lot of times that's people asking you what's your true joy blah 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 how does human design help you fit your sort of natural gifts, abilities, talents, you know, predilections to the way we put food on the table or how we follow our, our, our true life's calling? Yeah, well, human design really empowers you and enables you to exploit those gifts. So you're more courageous about moving to San Diego and becoming the surf instructor because you know that your emotional guardrails, you're following your joy, you're following your human design type and strategy and authority, which means how you're best meant to make decisions, what the signals are that you're on to something that's meant for you um, through your emotions and through how your body responds to different opportunities and how you ask yourself these things. So human design is really practical that way. And when you know this, because 
when you're in a human design session or you're finding all this information out in one way or another, you really just feel validated for the quirks that you already knew were there. It's not like you're totally shocked by the results of your chart. It's really just a, a validation. So you can move on with bolder things. It might sound you know, insane to people that don't know what you're talking about, but really feels good in your body and your system and can open up a whole new life for you rather than, you know, sticking in the conditioning of, or the fear of, you know, if I leave investment banking, I'm not going to be able to have my needs met. I'm not going to have an abundant life and, and getting really clear on what your intentions are, what your true desires are, how you can make it possible through following your, your decision maker and your emotions um, gives you clarity and purpose and empowerment really to, to make bolder choices. Um, I mean, I've used that time and time again. What if it's strictly a matter of place? I could be a surfing yeah. instructor in Hawaii, or I could be a surfing instructor in San Diego. Um, well, it's still using those guardrails. So when I ask myself, so I'm a generator or a type in human design, and I have a gut intuition decision maker. So what if it were generator me, mean? a generator is most of the population is a generator. So that aura type is is big, it's enveloping, it's gathering and magnetizing opportunities to the person. Um, and they're the worker bees. So the key that to that though is you have to follow your joy. If you're not following your joy, if you're doing things out of obligation or conditioning, you're actively burning out. You're actively burning out your system. So then it's harder to have access to all that information. So if it were me and I was choosing, okay, so I made the choice, I'm gonna be a surf instructor. Do I wanna go to Hawaii or do I wanna go to San Diego? It's less about, for me at least, less about doing a pro-cons list and all that. It's really asking my gut the yes, no question. Do I want to go to San Diego and see what my gut says? And it's a physical belly feeling <laughs> and it's a lit upness. It's a, oh my gosh, I can't wait to do that feeling. Um, so I would ask myself that, do I want to go to San Diego? Full body yes or not so much as a no? Or do I want to go to Hawaii? Full body yes or not so much as a no? Um, and then you, you follow your curiosity and you do it in a way that makes sense and feels good to you too. I mean, I think burning your life down and moving all of a sudden probably wouldn't feel good to anybody unless they're ready for that kind of major shift in their life. So, um, you know, human design can change your life in very incremental ways that feels good too. It doesn't have to be this, you know, traumatic, like burn down situation. Could this help a teenager or an early 20 something about choices of majors or oh, yeah. whether or not to even go to college or whether I'm going to learn to be a master electrician or go major in English or art history. Um, yes. it, I see you nodding vigorously. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, when you're a young adult, you're part of the fun of that is exploring and trying things on for size. And so human design doesn't take that away necessarily because your energy can present in an infinite amount of ways, but still express that energy as it wants to express. So part like one of my gates, quote unquote, um, in human design, which is an energy flavor characteristic of me is being able to make chaotic things very simple. And that can, you can imagine, I can take that energetic gift in anything. I could do that in art history. I can do that as a professional organizer. I can do that as a medical doctor. So um, it really just gives you guidance and kind of a checkpoint of saying, okay, I'm really into, you know, my former career it was speech language pathology. I'm really into speech language pathology. And then I look at my chart, I'm like, okay, well, this 
energy can express through speech language pathology. So I'm going to follow this until it doesn't feel right anymore. Um, so that's how that would present. So what, it's not like going to be that prescriptive. Point for you, what was that inflection point where it did not feel right? Well, I think there was a couple. It was kind of a, a gradual tearing away, actually. Um, when we moved, we lived in North Carolina and then moved to Chicago and started having kids, I had to back down my career. And at, before that, before I had my firstborn, I was like on the top of my career. I was selling endoscopy equipment. I was teaching other speech pathologists how to do this diagnostic test. I was loving it, loving it. I felt like I was super impactful, um, really exciting. I was in a startup company and that really fueled a lot of my um, needs and gave me freedom and flexibility and creativity. And so that was amazing. And then I had my firstborn kid and had to back down hours and then just felt very disconnected from that just because my, my focus had to go towards, you know, my new budding family. And then we had kids like back to back to back. So there was never a momentum towards the career again. And I, I looked at it in a different lens as well, because, um, as a speech pathologist, you're not, you know, the medical doctor, you're not, the preventative medicine provider, you're really um, rehabbing after a neurological or a cancer event has already happened, which is amazing. Like you have to do that. You change lives doing that as well. But I felt deep in my core that I wanted to get more at the foundation of things before they started. And speech pathology just doesn't lend itself to that necessarily. And so I, I could kind of feel that back and forth. Well, after I had my third kid, I got a job um, back here. We moved back to North Carolina. I got a hospital job in 2020, right before COVID came on over. And that really solidified the fact that, you know, it's just not the time for my focus to be strictly on speech pathology. Um, I, I love my patients. I love my coworkers. But the need for me to be at home with my family and doing my own thing uh, was just very evident after 2020 and the stress that that job gave me was just not worth um, what I felt already is kind of a breaking up point. <laughs> that was that was a major tipping point. But now what's really cool, Stuart, is um, as Western medicine has opened their arms to more integrative health because it's having trouble, you know, helping people at this point. Um, the speech pathology world is accepting more mindfulness, meditation, Reiki. So now I get to go back to speech pathologists and help them integrate mindfulness strategies in their care for their patients, um, show them the science behind it and the benefits behind that, especially after COVID came through uh, and is really just burning everybody in healthcare out. So it's even more fun now that I have all these other integrative health tools that I can bring back to speech pathology and, and help clients help patients and help speech pathologists and, and organizations with those tools too. Well, feel free to tell me this is too personal, but um, what does your husband make of human design? <laughs> is there ever a point at which he says, Rachel, enough? <laughs> yes. Enough. You know, no, he indulges me a good bit. Um, he also <laughs> knows how to check out. I tease him all the time. Uh, he just kind of checks out sometimes, which is fine. He's a, he's an air sign. He's an Aquarius. So he, he checks out a little bit too. Um, but he indulges me. I think he, he is attracted to my excitement around it and the momentum that I have in my business with it and seeing me be a leader and, and share this information as you know, the evolution of that really was the more I accepted it as 
like a really cool tool that's so helpful and not so wacky and woo woo. Um, the more he's embraced and asked about it and he's seen changes in my life. I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? Like the words don't teach. It's really how I've been able to have more emotional, you know, clarity, have more decision-making, be more empowered, be bolder, you know, make, make my company more profitable now that, that this is flowing my energy in the way that my map says it wants to flow. So, um, I think the proof is in the pudding there. So he's, he's indulging me now, Stuart, <laughs> but he's a finance guy. So, well, you guys are a good team. That's right. That's right. I mean, he has to bring me down to earth and give me structure and, and I've got to, you know, make him think outside of the box and, and talk about weird stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in the, in the application of this really on the daily. Um, so, uh, we can read a lot now about whether we're night owls or whether we're early bird gets the worm, whether we're up before the dawn and that's when we're productive and it has everything to do with when we respond to email or when we, whatever, and not everybody's the same. And so there's an ebb and flow to the day. Some people need a 20 minute nap, you know, some people need a two hour break in the middle of the day. Um, Can this kind of design help you on the daily with, when is it time to do something which is an option, uh, yeah. such as return emails, return phone calls, or when do I need to shut the phone off and stare out the window and and dream big dreams? Right. Yeah. I mean, human design is very practical in that way. It informs how you can schedule when you want to be productive, when you can't. So there's all these different components of the chart that inform that. Um, for instance, the projector aura type is one that borrows energy from other energy types. So they really should only work like three or four hours a day. And what they can get done in those three or four hours is way more than I can get done all week. They're very efficient. They know how things should work and how to operate things. So for a projector, um, you know, that has, there's another component of the chart in the PHS, it's called, it's like the health system part of the chart where Um, it tells you how you can digest information and food. So let's say a projector has a low digestion, meaning they digest things in like low light, low sound. They should be working um, after dark, really. So if they can find um, a nice flexible schedule for their job, if they can work from home or come in after hours, you know, maybe hop on the Zoom during the day and then come into the office and really do the bulk of their work, you know, focused work, that would, might be really helpful for a projector. And what that does is it, it streamlines their energy, it gets rid of the friction, and it, it cuts out on burnout and stress and overwhelm and just tiredness and lethargy. So that's an example of that. Um, Another way I use my design every day, other than the yes, no decision making, which is just so key for me. I'm so clear about my decisions and so unapologetic about my decisions now that I know my design that way, Um, you know, because not a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, go with your gut, you know, (laughs) so um, you have to get rid of the conditioning around that. But once you prove it to yourself that it works, it's, it's easy to do that. But another way, um, I have some structure in the way my brain thinks according to human design, as well as needing the flow and intuitive decision-making part too. So I have to accommodate both those things and your chart can show you those. So the way I do that is in my morning routine, I time block. So I say, okay, I'm going to do some self-care before my kids get up. So I'm not a monster all day. So I say, okay, I'm going to get up at 445, but 
during that hour and a half period or whatever it ends up being, I have freedom to have a menu of options of what self-care looks for me. So my morning routine isn't the same every single day that drives my energy. Absolutely bonkers. I can't do that. I have to wake up and feel how my energy feels and see what would be best for self-care that day. So it might be you know, drinking tea and staring off in space or journaling or doing yoga. Most of the time, meditation is always in the mix um, or it could be going on a walk or, or something like that. So that's how I get around that. But it was only when I stopped conditioning myself saying, gosh, Rachel, oh, why are you not consistent? You know, you need to be more disciplined and all this kind of stuff. Well, my energy is just not set up that way. But I do need the structure to say, okay, I am going to get up and do something, but then have the freedom to do what I want in that structure. And that's how my best energy best works. And the human design is what informed me of that. I hear about people who in a workspace or in-laws or family, siblings, um, they have relationships which they immediately dismiss as, she's toxic. I can't be around (laughs) her at Thanksgiving. Right. Um, is there a way through human design that we could be around people that formerly just drove us nuts, triggered oh, us, yeah. uh, but develop a kind of compassion? No, she's not nuts. She's not toxic. She just has the world wired in a very particular way, which is very different than mine. Can yes. we develop relationships with people that formerly we were just not even speaking to. Yes, 100%. Human design has helped me with that tremendously. Um, The self-compassion component too. So knowing my quirks and how my energy works, I get really compassionate with myself if I'm operating from an anxious part of my energy too, because I can see it better with with my energy map. Um, But with toxic people or relatives or people that really just drain and suck your energy, Um, you can understand their energy patterns and see how they're operating perhaps out of their lower vibration or their shadow aspects of their chart versus the healthy, you know, mentally and emotionally healthy sides. And yes, it brings compassion, which brings, you know, a little softening towards them, but even beyond human design, I like to use a loving kindness meditation for that too. Um, you know, sending them love through visualization during meditation is so helpful. And then other energy protection mechanisms too. So understanding their chart is helpful, but the loving kindness tool, and also you, there's so many ways you can protect your energy, quote unquote, because you're in charge of your energy. That's where your control is. So you don't have to let them suck your energy. You can imagine, you know, being in a bubble and their energy bouncing off yours, or you can do cleansing. So their energy gets out of your aura and your system. Because as I mentioned earlier, there's some spots in your chart that are defined where you have consistent access to that type of energy and undefined where you don't, where you're more impacted by outside influences. Well, those toxic people, their toxicity is getting in your aura through those open centers. And so when you acknowledge that you can you know, politely send their energy back to them. You can do some, you know, smudging from the, from the native American traditions to cleanse your aura or use sounds, use singing, use yoga. There's lots of ways to, to get that, those vibes out of there. Um, you know, shaking practice is really good. I like doing that and visualization. I'm a visual person. So visualization of their energy, just bouncing off me. So I'm not getting sucked into that cycle. And then it feeds, you know, once that happens, it feeds the lower parts of us too. You know, you kind of feel a little bit 
you know, better than them when you're judging them. And then it feeds those yucky parts of you. If you can let it, you know, cleanse out and block them from sucking in, um, you can look at them with fresh eyes and with understanding, compassionate eyes for sure. So you can be around them without being so negatively affected by them. But some Uh, people, I mean, you need a physical damn barrier. You don't need to be around them. (laughs) (laughs) If they're going to come whack you, you don't have You don't got to be, no, no amount of visualization (laughs) is going to help any of that. What I really enjoyed about and found useful about the Enneagram was that there are no bad numbers or good numbers, superior numbers. There's, for instance, I'm a number two giver. Um, And so at my highest, Rachel, do you need a ride to the airport? You know, can I help you out with that? At my lowest, I want Rachel to love me 100%. And I'm going to twist myself into a pretzel to do whatever it takes to gain your entire approval, even if I alienate everybody else. Right. Uh, And then that person knows you're doing that, too. They feel and suck that energy, too. And they're like, ah. Yes. Yes. Okay. it sounds like the same thing with human design. There are yes. no good numbers and bad numbers, no good gates, no, no good chakras and bad chakras. It's a no. matter of how we use the information we're getting. Exactly. That's right. That's what I love about it too. It gives you that fluctuation of how you're feeling and how your energy is expressing. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, I have a control gate that's very prominent in my chart. And it's all about, you know, on a good day, like you said, I control myself, my reactions, my responses, my decisions, my energy. That's where my control is on bad days. Like if something traumatic happens or if I'm not, you know, treating myself well or I'm not having my basic needs met and I'm really getting burned out or tired or whatever, that control gate is going to look like micromanaging my family, trying to control them, trying to judge them, trying to get them to do things instead of center it on me. So Every single gate has that um, with the end channel, which are components of the chart. But the um, human design has a sister system called Gene Keys, and that is a contemplative system uh, to the, the structure of the human design. And that really accommodates, it goes deeper into how each one of these energies presents, depending on how you're feeling. There's a shadow side, which is kind of the lower side where how it can express is like control or being too submissive or something like that. And then the middle is the gate is the gift. So that's probably mostly where we're going to live is in the gift energy of that energy flavor. And then there's an evolved kind of higher self version of that energy as well. That's, that's kind of, you know, the goal maybe to evolve into expressing that way mostly. So it accommodates for all those fluctuations, which is, again, self-compassionate because it it um, shows that our humanity is accepting of all of those things. We're not, you know, going to hit a plateau of perfect energy expression and then call it good. The, you know, the world is going to throw us a few different things and it might knock us down a notch. So the human design experiment is really just a reminder to say, hey, you're OK. You're doing all right. You're still on track. You know, here's, here are a couple of things that you can tap into, like your creativity and cultivating joy and gratitude. And, and you can try to get back to where your baseline is, but it's okay. You're okay in the shadows parts too. It also sounds like the, the, the underlying messages, 
take this information, see what works for you. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's it. It's really just, yeah, a tool to dive deeper and get curious about yourself, to provide you guidance, to try things on for more ease and flow and freedom and joy and, and using that as a way to experience your life in the way that you came here to do without, you know, as much friction as we put on ourselves. I mean, things happen in our worlds that are going to provide us enough barriers. And then we add the whole layer on top of, you know, negative self-talk or limiting beliefs or self-sabotage and all those things. And human design can really bust through all those blocks. If you go to a dinner party and someone dismisses you out of hand, let's say you meet a medical doctor and they go, well, that's a bunch of woo-woo. That's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, People just need to come in and we'll do an MRI and we'll do the traditional battery and They don't need any of that. That's all a bunch of nonsense. How do you respond to that? Well, it depends on how much they're playing with me to try to provoke me and how much that is really their true belief. If that is their true belief, then I am fine to say, okay, great. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not, it's not the time for you to explore this or to be as open-minded. I'm not, I'm at a point in my life and have clarity around my energy that I'm not going to sit here and debate someone that is not ready to receive any information. There's no opening into any, you know, acceptance or, or anything like that. So I'm not going to waste my energy with the, with that kind of argument. If they're playing with me and, and kind of just teasing me about how woo woo it is, I'll, I'll play with them back. I'll match their energy. I'm like, look, it's a yes. And thing. I I still go to a primary physician. (laughs) You know, I still go to the urgent care, the ER. This is not a medical system by any means. It's not meant to replace medical healthcare by any means. It's really just an understanding tool of different decision-making points and and guidance on your path to hopefully create an environment of well-being and health and holistic health and ease and joy and all of those things. And I mean, I think at this point, medical doctors are are understanding if they haven't before, which I think it's always been a part of the heart of a physician and a healthcare provider to come in to give compassionate care, um, give holistic care, looking at their patients as whole beings. Our system is making it really hard for them to do that. Is the same true of people who have anxiety disorders, bipolar, depression, um, something that comes in the DSM? Same thing. Um, it's not an either or. You still need to go if you yeah. need to go to the psychiatrist. If you need meds, go yes. get your meds. Yes, Stuart. Yes, um, it's the human design is a helpful tool to direct. You know how maybe if burnout is contributing to your mental and emotional diagnosis, I think it could be really helpful. But it's definitely not a replacement for mental and emotional health care. Um, I. I know that firsthand from my postpartum anxiety and depression diagnosis. I always have had a more integrative, holistic approach to my health. And after I got that diagnosis, you know, the medical system wasn't meeting me there either, by the way. (laughs) They were not saying, you know, let us wrap you around and and really take care of your postpartum depression. It was kind of like, we'll have someone call you in six weeks. But um, I went the whole like, acupuncture, essential oil route. And my postpartum depression and anxiety was way more severe than that could help. 
So in that respect, it was probably a little helpful and it might've been worse. And I at least had some sort of tool for that, but I needed meds and I needed a psychiatrist. And I did not pursue that because I had my own blocks around that uh, through that diagnosis. But I learned from that experience too, because when I started getting those symptoms right before I had my first third kid, I called my doctor immediately and I was like, put me on meds, put me on safe meds for pregnancy. I am not doing this again. And that really helped. And I was on it for the first year of his life. And I had a really great infant experience with him, you know? So I was also doing, you know, walking, I was going out in nature. I was, I was getting sun, vitamin D. I was doing things for myself. I was using my creativity. I was also using essential oils and stuff too, but I was also on meds. (laughs) There are, there's a place for all, all of it. Yeah. If we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived is this little recording, what is your legacy? Oh my God, Stuart, that's such a loaded question. You know, that's in my chart too, is the need to leave a legacy, something beyond this lifetime for me. And what I would want is that people felt loved in my energy presence and valued and seen and heard. And that I tried my very best with what I had to make this world a better place for people that have resources and don't have resources that have privilege and that don't have privilege and that's equitable. And I just tried my best. (laughs) I tried my best to make this world a better place in those respects Um, would be an ultimate legacy for me. God bless you. Thank you for making time for me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for sharing me with your audience. You can download your own free human design form, accent on free, at craftingood, C-R-A-F-T-I-N-G-O-O-D. It's like crafting good with only one G, craftinggood.com. And who knows? See. Just keep an open mind. See. Rachel, thank you. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com, in her words, the podcast, and now voicelocket.com. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.
Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10.